said before, yeah, the center of what we do and where we take our guidance from uh, as a church is from the Bible. And today we're looking at a passage that has really been steering us as a church over the last now almost 11 years. And it's from Matthew chapter 5, from verses 13 to 16, and that'll come up on the screen behind me um, if you don't have a Bible in front of you. And this is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to, the whole, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, well, good morning and welcome. I'm Jeremy, and if you're new here, you might be thinking that I am too, but I, um, I do serve as the lead pastor here, and I've been away on seven weeks of long service leave, which um, the last time I had seven weeks off, was when I was a teacher, back when I didn't used to call it long service leave, it was just the term four to term one break. Uh, but um, it's great to actually be back in the, um, in the final week of leave, so just last week. I was in the mindset of even like, even after that many weeks where I was like, oh, I, I could kind of get used, to, I mean anyone could get used to not working obviously. But, um, but in that last week, we took the kids to a water park and while I was going down a slide that was completely blacked out, I felt something hit my foot on the way through. And when I got to the bottom, I'll spare you the details, but there was a lot of blood and all that kind of action, and I ended up going to hospital and spending the next couple of days on crutches. And then two days after that, just before coming back, I put my back out. I thought, if I don't go back to work in the next few days, like God's going to break my leg or something's going to get amputated. So it's good to be back and on safe ground again and here with you all um, gathering on Sundays. And as Jacob mentioned, we start the year the same way every year the first week of February, we don't have a fancy title for our vision series. It's not called like Super Kingdom Shakers Sunday or anything like that. We're very just meat and three veg here. We just call it Next because as we follow Jesus as a church that's about following Jesus, we just want to know as we open the scriptures, what's next for us in growing, in following him and trusting him and living for him. And as a church, we do have a mission and vision. And that can sound almost very kind of, corporate and it can be in some ways but really as a church all it is is kind of a it's a teaching tool to sum up what the scriptures say about what the church should be because the truth is we don't set the mission of the church it's not a business or another type of organization where you get together with a board and say like what are we actually going to be about or what's our product or something like that now actually it's very clear in scriptures that Jesus is the head of the church and he sets the mission for the church and at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he gathers his church together and he says to them very clearly what they're to be about. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And so it's clear that Jesus' church is to be about, the way we summarize it, is making more and stronger disciples. That is reaching people with the Gospel for the first time, but not just leaving people there, but actually teaching them everything that Jesus commanded, that we might live lives that are completely transformed by Jesus. And so as we do that, as we live out our mission to make more and stronger disciples, a vision is really like, look, what would it look like if over the next few years we just 
took Jesus at his word and did what he said? What would our church community look like? And so that's what we're doing. And probably the easiest way to think of it is kind of like a, a compass check. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Wager, which is about a doomed like, uh, sort of mm, 17th century, no, no, 18th century voyage. And one of the things that's shocking in there, I mean, aside from the fact that pretty much everyone who went to sea just died, but one of the shocking things was that the way that they would navigate their position was by something called dead reckoning. And I, I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but the way, it's basically kind of just guessing. So what you'll do is you'll get a timer, which was unreliable, and you'll use a series of techniques to measure your speed, which are also reliable, and then you try and position yourself on a map that's unreliable, and hopefully you are where you think you are, but oftentimes you are hundreds of miles from where you're supposed to be. And of course, when you're sailing through rough seas, that can be the difference between life and death. They didn't have the advanced navigational equipment that we have at the moment, so it, so often voyages could end up in complete disaster. But I would put to you that churches could be the same. That unless, as a church, we are constantly bringing ourselves back to the Scriptures and what Jesus says, we could find ourselves hundreds of miles off course. And so we need the Scriptures to keep us on track and on course. And the Scripture that we're opening today is a clear vision that Jesus cast for his church. It's right at the beginning of a section, a very famous section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, that even many people who wouldn't say they have a faith or describe themselves as non-religious have heard of it or even heard of the teachings that Jesus presents in this sermon. But right at the beginning of it, he lays out as the head of the church what his church is supposed to be like. And it's where our name, City Light, comes from. And just before we open it up, I'm going to pray that as we open up this scripture, that God would be driving it deep into our hearts as a church community, and that it might be for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you are the true and living God, that you are sovereign over all creation. You have made and sustained all things through Christ. And we pray that you would strengthen us as your church by your spirit, to be your people, to be different in the world and to make a difference for your name's sake. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us with all power through your spirit for this very task. Amen. When Matthew 5.13, Jesus lays out that his church is meant to be different in order to make a difference in the world, and he starts by saying this. In Matthew 5.13 we read, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is probably the least extraordinary statement that Jesus makes. It is as plain as you could possibly be. He just says, there is salt. If it's lost its saltiness, it's useless. But he's making a point here about his church. He's about to go into the Sermon on the Mount and how it is that his people are to be radically different from the world around them and how the gospel and how knowing Jesus changes every aspect of life. But he starts by saying, you. So he's talking to his people, his followers. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, why salt? In the ancient world, obviously, salt had many different uses. It was used for preserving things. And so some people have kind of postulated that maybe what Jesus is talking about is here that the church is actually about preserving you know, the Word of God or culture. It's kind of about you know, keeping things together. 
Others have theorized because salt was about adding flavor to something that actually the church was meant to be the, the center of cultural renewal and sort of to give a, a city or the world kind of flavor in that sense. But I don't think it's actually he's trying to be that fancy with it. He's just saying this, look, salt is meant to be salty and if it's not, you just chuck it out. He says the church is meant to be different or distinct and if it's not, what's the point of it? To put it more technically, he says if church has lost its churchiness, it's no longer church. And what does he mean by this? Well, the answer comes right after this. He says his people are to be radically different, radically loving, radically generous, radically holy, radically forgiving, radically kind. This is the saltiness of Jesus' church. Transformed lives. A church that's different from the city around it and the culture around it. Now, I, I can't tell you how many times... In podcasts or TV shows or movies, I've heard the message kind of phrased in different ways but along the same lines of like, look, if the church wants to stay relevant, it needs to update its views on X, Y, and Z. It comes through again and again and again. It's like a, a pretty common sort of line to tread out. But the truth is that churches have been trying this for at least a century, if not for centuries. And the results are always the same. Whenever churches try to be relevant or cool by updating their doctrine or changing it to fit more in line with a secular culture, they become irrelevant and they die. And it's not that hard to see why. The journalist and author Ben Sixsmith wrote on this specific topic as himself a non-religious person. And the quote will come up on the screen for you. He, he articulates it this way. He says, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it very much looks as if they want to become more like me. I mean, he, he nails it. Why would you put salt on your meal if it's lost its saltiness? You might as well just sprinkle sand in it. There's no point putting it in there. Why would someone go to a church that thinks and believes and acts exactly like they do? They can do that without the church. Now Jesus says the church is meant to be different from the surrounding culture. If the church lives and thinks and acts in exactly the same ways as those around them, it really has nothing to offer. There's no reason for it to be there. It's sold. This just lost its saltiness. And to be clear, this doesn't mean that the church is meant to be different for just no reason or different for different sake or to be kind of deliberately kind of back to the wall, kind of aggressive. Now, the, the reason that the church is meant to be different is because it follows Christ. The common misunderstanding of Christianity is that it's different because it's out of date. And if that were true, then of course... The, the right solution would be to just update things. But Jesus doesn't say that his church is meant to be traditional or to hold on to values that were once popular at another time and just hold them for centuries or millennium. Now Jesus says his church is not to be different because it belongs to another time, but different because it belongs to another world. Jesus' teachings were different from his culture. See, if it was just the case that what made Christianity distinct was that they were holding on to views or values that belonged to another time, 
then it would have been the case that when Jesus was around, his views would have been present and contemporary. But the truth is, when Jesus entered an ancient culture, his claim was that he came as God to enter into human history, and his views were not received. His teachings were not received by everyone. In fact, for some, they were so on the nose that they crucified and killed him. Jesus was different, not because he's from another time, but the extraordinary claim of the scriptures is that he was from another realm, from another world, that he was God entered into human history. And therefore his people are meant to be different, not because they believe in old-timey things, like they're just really into retro culture, but because they have encountered a God who has entered into human history, to Jesus who is from another world. And this is how the church is meant to be different. Otherwise, it's just a group of people who are stuck in the past, who failed to modernize, and they'll be phased out like everything else. The church is called to reflect the fact that we belong to a God who is beyond this world, but has entered into human history and has changed it and changed the lives that have encountered him. You think of it in this way. Imagine you are driving into work and you are stressed out of your brain. And if you drive through the Roseau Interchange, that's not a very difficult thought experiment. That's your every morning at this point in time. But let's imagine you're, you're stressed out because you've, you've messed up something at work, you've got difficult conversations coming, you might be fired, or you have to fire someone, or you've got to have some challenging interaction, or work's just falling apart, whatever it is, that mindset where you're heading into work that you are so stressed that you're angry driving. So you're accelerating and then braking hard, you're cursing out all the morons in traffic around you. You're just, you're in that zone. And let's imagine in that zone, you're driving so fast that you miss the fact that you're going through a pedestrian crossing and you hit someone. And they hit the front of the car on the windscreen and then land on the road in front of you. And at that point, you think, oh my gosh, I've killed someone. But let's imagine then at that point, the person sits up and you think, okay, well, I can upgrade that from killed to seriously maimed or injured. Let's imagine at that point then that the wounds on their head and hands and arms actually start to heal and then they stand up and they start walking towards your car. And at that point, you've gone from thinking, I've killed someone to this is my last day on earth. Goodbye, I love your mum and dad and all the things you, you, know, you regret you never did. And at that point, as they come up, you're regretting the fact that you wind down your window to yell at someone in another car and they reach through and they put their hand on their shoulder and they say, don't be afraid, I forgive you and they walk away. If that happened to you, I promise you whatever was stressing you out from the day up until that point will have completely evaporated. You will have gone from thinking, oh my gosh, my life is going to be changed forever and that I might be going to jail or I've killed someone or I don't know what's going to happen to me to, oh my gosh, what did I just witness? Not only would your day not be the same, I don't think your life would ever be the same. If that happened to you, you'd be like, who was that person? What power did they have? How did that happen and why did they forgive me? In the smallest possible way, that's as best as I can illustrate as to why it is that the church is to be different. Because we've encountered the risen Lord Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know that you were a sinner who was separated from God and was facing that separation forever. And yet he looked at you and said, I forgive you. Because of his death on the cross and his blood poured out for you, you can have forgiveness in him and know that God loves you. And from that moment on, your life is completely changed. What's meant to be different about the church and about God's people is not that they belong to another time, but another world. 
that they've encountered the true and living God, have experienced a love and forgiveness that you cannot experience in this world, and that this is what's to set the church apart and to make it different. This is what is the extraordinary claim of the gospel, that God himself came and died in our place to win our forgiveness. And so with this, Christianity is not a lifestyle or a worldview or a political view, but actually it's an encounter with something or more, more importantly someone from another world. It's God himself who transforms how we think and act, how we think about and understand ourselves and how we understand all of life. And it should transform all of life. The gospel, the message that you've been saved forgiven of your sin and made new and granted life forever should transform every single area of life. How we use money, how we understand sex and sexuality, how we see power and politics and injustice, how we view relationships and the body. There's not a single area that is not affected by the gospel. Jesus says the church is to be salt that hasn't lost its saltiness. It's encountered God and is forever changed and is different and distinct. And when the church loses its difference, it loses its ability to make a difference. And so Jesus says his church is to be set apart, is to be different. But with that at the same time, he also says in that very next section, I don't know if you noticed it as Jacob read it out, that while the church is to be different, it's not to be disengaged from the world around them. Look what he says here. Listen to the illustration that he gives. He says, after having said, you are the salt of the earth, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, Jesus uses such a simple illustration he's not trying to like create complex metaphors about anything he just says look you're a light he says a city on a hill can't be hidden you put a giant city on a giant hill it's very hard to obscure that from view that is one of the hardest things to hide but then he goes on with it he says look if you if you light a lamp in order to create light why would you go and hide it by putting it under a basket you can't hide a city on a hill you don't hide a light, and in the same way, the church is not to be hidden away. That's his point. The church should be engaged with the world, out there and not hidden away in a bunker. A light's not meant to be hidden, and so neither is Jesus' church. The church should be visible to the world. The church should maintain its difference while being present in the world to make a difference for Christ. And see, sometimes I think the church has, has the wrong metaphor here. Here, the idea is of light and dark. But sometimes it can almost come across like it's being read in this way. Like Jesus said, the world is a zombie apocalypse. And church, you are the last known survivors. So make sure you keep as far away from everyone as possible. When, you're, when you go out, stay low. Make, you, make sure you are fully armed with the Bible and Christian music. And stay as immune from the culture as you possibly can. Now, I know, I know they realize like, it sounds like I'm almost mocking. I am mocking there, I guess. But, uh, but more, more clearly, I can understand the point in terms of like, yeah, Jesus says the church is not to lose its distinction. 
And so there is a danger when churches just compromise on every one of their beliefs and become exactly like the culture around them. But at the same time, there's a danger that the church could maintain its distinction but completely lose contact with the outside world and make no effort to reach or to shine the light of Christ in a culture that doesn't know him. And so the illustration here isn't a zombie apocalypse. The illustration is light in darkness. It's more like imagine your whole neighborhood went out of power and no one had any backup plans or torches and you had a crate full of them. You would be obliged to go out into the neighborhood and to share that light. In the same way Jesus says, I'm, I'm sharing with you the love of God, forgiving your sins, making you new, changing your life, not so that you might become a group of people who just bunker down and wait for me to come back, but that you might go out into the world and share this with others. The church is meant to be different, but also to make a difference in the city and the world around them. And so here's the question. If our church, our, just our church community, shut down and left this community, would anybody notice? Presumably we, as people who love this church community and love one another, it would notice significantly. But would anyone else? Or even if you were to shrink it down individually, for you, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, as you think about your workplace or your neighborhood, if you were to leave... Would it make a difference? And hopefully it wouldn't make a difference in the sense of like, oh, thank goodness that guy doesn't work here anymore. That, would, that wouldn't be great. But would it make any difference? Does your following of Christ transform the way you relate to your neighborhood, to your workplace, in such a way that people would actually notice, would know that you're a follower of Christ, and that's the reason that it makes you different? And to be clear here, this doesn't mean being liked. The Jesus actually says here, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The point of doing good in your neighborhoods or your workplaces is not that people would like me. That's not necessarily that different to the world around us. Plenty of people operate on the basis of doing things for others in order to win their approval. But Jesus is saying, you're to be different as my people. To people who would do good, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, even to your enemies, that you would pray for those even who persecute you, that you wouldn't do things just so that you might be rewarded or so that people might like you or that people might honor you or speak well of you, but to do it for the sake of the God who has saved you and knows you and loves you, that you might witness to him and that it might lead them to an encounter with the true and living God. This is what God's church is meant to be like corporately and individually. It is meant to be that the way that you live would be so transformed and gripped by the hope and joy of the gospel that it would lead people to ask the question, what, what is it that makes you different? You can think of it in this way. I heard a pastor tell the story of uh, his, his daughter, who was a, pretty much a straight-A student, got an F in a subject. And she, I mean, that was my every subject for my report, so my parents would not have been that shocked, but he was shocked by it, and she was feeling like, when I get home, Dad's going to be so mad with me. I've messed up this subject, I've mucked around, I haven't done my work, and now I've been failed, and now I'm going to be in trouble. And when she came home, he already knew that this was the case, his wife had passed it on to him, and so when his daughter came to tell him, he said, tonight, 
I'm going to take you out for dinner. I'm going to take you to the movies. Then after that, we're going to go for dessert. We're going to have the funnest night out. And so after getting this F, he did that. And then he sat it down afterwards. He said, I just wanted to do that as a demonstration of kind of like the grace that God has shown me. That it wasn't based on my performance, but I'm extending it to you. Not for every F you get, just this one time <laughs> as an example of it. And it blew her away. But the next day at school, she told her friends what had happened. They were like, what did your dad say? What actually happened? What went down? And she told them what happened. And they were like, wow, I wish I had a dad like yours. And obviously at that point, he felt pretty chuffed with himself because now he's getting, he's actually, you know, he's stitched up all the dads who've been really hardline and whatever. But at that point, he's, he's like the cool dad at school. But he gave the illustration to make this point. We should live such transformed lives by the love of God that other people would say, wow, who is it that made your life like that? I want to know your heavenly father also. That we would live lives that are so different and transformed by the gospel that it would, be, that it would make people ask the question, why is that different? That's what Jesus means here when he lays out this vision for his church. He says you're to be salt that's not lost its saltiness. You're not to be just like everything else. An encounter with God is something that isn't meant to be just like an interest group or a hobby. It changes your life forever in every single way and increasingly. It's not that you become perfect the moment that you follow Christ, but that as life goes on, more and more of your life would come under the good lordship of Jesus. And that as you do that, it would lead people to ask the question, who is it that's changed your life? Who might introduce them to God? Do you do these good things? And shine the light of Christ that others might glorify your, God, your Father who is in heaven. That's Jesus' point. God's people should be known as God's people. And people should be able to see that your life is different in a compelling way and should want to know who is this God who changed your life. And so what does this mean for us as we kind of do a compass check for us at the beginning of the year? And where it is that God might be calling us to next over this year? I think in many ways it's an encouragement to keep going. I remember reading of um, a 16th century Roman Catholic uh, uh, priest in the church who had, in his later stage of life, learned Greek, and he was part of the Reformation, if you know anything about that. The church was full of corruption at the time, and there was a movement called the Reformation that in many ways we are a continuation of here. Um, but when he learned Greek and actually read the Bible for himself in the original language, he famously said, either this is not the gospel or we are not Christians. Now, that's the kind of compass check that would, would rock the church to its absolute core. And I, I can thankfully say, I don't think we're in for that kind of compass check as a church community. That actually, as I reflect on our last year as a church community, there are so many things to be thankful for. There's God's grace at work in so many ways in this community. People who are really living out their faith sacrificially, loving and serving one another, meeting in small groups, encouraging one another to follow Jesus. Not only that, but last year we prayed at the beginning of the year. We're like, look, our focus is we want to reach and engage more people with the gospel. And in God's grace, we reached and engaged more people and saw more people come to faith or engage with the gospel in last year than any of our other years. And so in many ways, it was just a call to continue on. To keep following Jesus. But if there was one danger for us, I reckon it might be this. That God has been so generous to us in, in gracing us with a beautiful church community that there's a danger that we just might get too comfortable. 
that we might be like, look, we're at a church that's kind of good enough. Even, even though, like, I started long service leave in early December, and on Christmas Eve, we're like, look, where are we going to go to church? And we thought about the other ones we could go to. And because I work here at church, generally, like, you don't go to church on a Sunday when you're not working there because, you know, you might get into work mode or that sort of thing. But in the end, as we thought about it, and where our kids wanted to go, we're like, oh, we actually just want to come here, which was a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful church community to actually be a part of. But we might just slip into the danger of actually being too comfortable and of being like, look, we, a few years ago we had the vision of becoming a growing, healthy, multi-generational church and we moved down to the high school for the sake of that and now we've got space for the kids and there's enough of us here for it to feel like there's a community going on and we can just be like, ah, we've done, we've finished. Jesus, just beam us up right now. We've, we've, fin- we've completed the mission. And we can forget the fact that we live on a peninsula with like 30,000 people in a city with 5 million people and in a world with 8 billion people. And Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations. And he calls us to be a light and a city on a hill. And so at the end of last year, we started praying as a leadership team about where God was leading us and where we wanted to grow. And we want to see God at work in our church in this way. We want to see a flood of lives saved and renewed by the gospel. We want to see a church that's captivated and transformed by the gospel in every way. And to see a church sacrificially serving and witnessing to make a difference in our city and our world. So we want to see more than just like a trickle of, of, of lives being changed and renewed by the gospel, but actually to start to see a, a trickle become a flow, become a flood over these next few years. And not only that, but to see lives that are not just like a little bit different or where we've kind of like, look, I, I'm kind of like, I'm at the point in my life where I don't have any major kind of sins that are going to blow up my life. So I'm, I'm happy just to camp there. But actually people who are so captured by the gospel, that we want to continually bring more and more of our life under Christ to grow in holiness and our love of Jesus year on year. And a church that has a view to making an impact in the city that we live in and in the world. And so over the next part of this year, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Our next series called Counterculture is going to be all on the gospel transforming key areas of our lives in profound ways that we might bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus. That the way we steward our finances, the way we do community, the way that we see spiritual formation, the way that we rest and the way that we witness would all be impacted by the gospel. And the latter part of the year, we're going to be thinking about how it is that we might have more of an impact on the city, that as we steward this gospel and as we live lives for Christ, that we might be shining the light of Christ in our city. As we study the books of Esther and Jonah and see how God worked through his people over time to witness to his name. And not only that, we're going to be thinking more globally this year than ever. We had one family go out from us last year, and they leave in a week's time to West Papua over in Indonesia to be a part of a new gospel work over there. We're going to be hearing from others in our church community who are heading to other parts of the world and laying down their lives for the sake of Christ. But in all of this, we know that unless God builds the house, then nothing will happen. And so we want to be a people of prayer. And even over, if, over the summer, as we've looked at the Psalms and praying through the Psalms, our hope would be that we would be a, a church that are humbly dependent on God for this transformation. So how I thought we'd finish for this week is that I'm going to start by praying. And then after that, Jacob's going to bring around a mic. And anyone who wants to just bring our church community before God can do that. 
And that as we step out hearing Jesus' words in Matthew 5, praying that we'd be a church that lives different in order to make a difference. And that we do this because we are so captivated by the love of Christ that it transforms all of our life. And this might be a year where as a church, corporately and individually, we experience more of the saving and transforming grace of God than ever before. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you that you are the author of life. You are our heavenly Father, our Creator. That you are the one who sent your Son Jesus to die in our place for our sin, that we might be forgiven and made new. Father, we just pray that our hearts would be captured by the hope and joy of the Gospel. That it would move us to see ourselves and our world in a completely different way. That we would see as you see. That our hearts and minds would be aligned with your heart and mind and will. And Father, we long to see our lives transformed by the gospel and to see many others come to faith and to experience the redemption and forgiveness and renewal that comes with knowing Jesus as Lord. And so Father, we pray that in this, that we would be more prayerful than ever, more dependent on you than ever, and that we would see you work powerfully in our midst, all for the sake of your name. Amen.